This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Okay, it is me, moi, Madam Adams, New York Post, Madam Adams. You get me in the column Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Sunday you get me on WABC. Listen, I have done a survey. I, your radio slave, have, thanks to micro skirts, mini pants, and skimpy drawers, have learned ladies' brains are showing from the skirts down. Some researcher named Elizabeth Coop from England has studied, you won't believe it, fat calves, knees bearing knobs, and pleats on thighs and various varicose veins. Why she never studied medieval history, this I don't know. Her stiff upper lip unloaded the scientific realization that smart babes have smart legs. Now, you're not going to believe this, but this is what she did. You ready for this? In another galaxy, long, long back, she told me our underpins give away our inner selves. Our outer limbs, she said, give away our inner gizzards. What do I know? I went looking on 5th and 59th. I had nothing else to do, so I went schlepping around to look at legs. One girl had a very short skirt. Per these scientific findings, her long legs were, theoretically, to determine she's sexy. That's what it was told us in research. Being a reporter, I wanted to learn. So I asked, you got long legs, are you sexy? So giving me a very peculiar look, she hustled away from me. Meantime, a very senior girl watcher was watching me. So I asked him, did he think long legs were sexy? His reply, yeah, but then I think everything's sexy. That British scientist's research claimed piano legs connoted efficiency, like a 30-ish with a thigh-high skirt and limbs that belonged under a Steinway was told her configuration advertised efficiency. So I asked her, is that true? She said, no, hun. Legs like mine only mean I should wear longer skirts. This really legit survey decided thick ankles equal great humor, and thin ankles mean you laugh easily probably at people with fat ankles. Anyway, hanging from some yellow skirt, I next spied a pair of underpins in white crochet something. A male passerby labeled those calves full, fleshy. Supposedly, this depicted a dreamy, fanciful heart with more imagination than ability. Can you believe a survey like that? So I asked, is she that sort? The young thing blinked long eyelashes at me and replied, yeah. Flat or shaped limbs? The survey says the girl's a bore. Short ones indicate a nesting type. It bears babies well. Bow-legged? The survey indicated, forget her, she's obstinate, she's self-centered, who cares about her? Strong athletic underpins, tough female. Shapely legs, she knows what it's all about. And what that's all about, who knows? 
a teenager who was well-shaped from knees down, indicated conceit. No, I'm not conceited, she replied. Although I could be, because I have a lot to be conceited about. I can only tell you, my bowler is off to Britannia's researcher. I think she's an idiot, but this is what she researched. Listen, Sunday is Father's Day. It's when the wife hands out extra money so the kids can get stuff he doesn't need in the first place. It's when Daddy would never be what he is today without his family. Busted. When saying he runs things in the house, it means the lawnmower, vacuum cleaner, washing machine. When asked what size cologne he wears, Daddy thinks, better the keys should give me the keys back to my car. And when this father, now a banker, lectures about birds and bees, it's because he knows nothing about girls. Understand, not every father is a spender. One wife bought the husband no-cal hair tonic. She says it's for fatheads. Okay, now a little story, an interview. May Pang, P-A-N-G, once personal assistant to John Lennon, who then assisted him a little more personally than his then-wife, Yoko Ono. She became John's lover. She has now done a documentary. Everybody's doing a documentary. Guys who do hangnails do documentaries. Everyone's doing a documentary except for Joe Biden, and that's only because he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. May Pang, the lover of the late John Lennon, was born 1950, married, divorced, now featuring long blue hair. She told me, 1973, she was in my house to tell me this. She said, 1973, Yoko told me, I'm going to leave John. You should know that John is interested in you. She said to me, I then wasn't interested in John. Also, I was scared. This is John Lennon. Anyway, I also thought the next day Yoko would forget. That's what happened with her. Things came and went with Yoko. Eventually, John Lennon and I moved together into an East 52nd apartment. Yoko kept those fabulous 11 rooms fronting Central Park in their fabulous Dakota apartment. Previously, they had lived bohemian style in a tiny basement apartment in the village. He says the two of us bonded, John Lennon and I, on our mutual love of music. Yeah, I'll bet there were other things they bonded on. She told me here when she came for drinks, we went to L.A. together. You start knowing someone superficially. Then I fell in love with him. Oh, big surprise. A nobody and a star. She fell for him. Oh, what a surprise. She kept calling, but she said in 74, Yoko wanted a divorce, although she kept calling him. It was her third marriage, and he said to me, I will be free in six months. Yeah, that was years back. She said, I was the only one who was honest with him, but she wanted me and him 
away. So for a while, we did not see one another. Then one day, he called me from Cape Town, South Africa, and we were on the phone an hour and a half. She did not call me ever. Yoko Ono said Mei Pang was a chain smoker. She was seven and a half years older than he. She understood his needs. But he and I, together 18 months, our life was different. It's very touching. All musicians, she said. We only went with musicians. George Harrison said, I'm so glad he's with you now and not Yoko. Ah, Keith Richards said, This is the John I used to see but no longer see when he's with Yoko. Ah, I met him accessible to friends, she said. We'd go swimming. We'd do Disney World. Disney World? We would take walks together without his entourage. So when did you see him last, I said. She said, last I saw him was 78. He had a will done in 79. He was gone in 1980. I can't forget. I'll never forget. But you have to let it go. You can only try to live in the moment. I have since, said Mei Pang to me, I have since attempted many times to reach out to Yoko, but it didn't work. In 2000, she said, we accidentally met, both having breakfast in the same hotel in Reykjavik, Iceland. An assistant was carrying food for her. I asked, Yoko, how are you? She answered, fine. And that was it, and that was that. May Pang's documentary, The Lost Weekend, A Love Story, shows Elton, Jagger, Ringo, and Lennon's son, Julian. I am now going to be back. It's been a bad time for us all. We're in a great city. Cheer up. Have a nice day. If you think Taco Bell is a Mexican phone company and Eartha Kitt is a set of garden tools, so what? Be glad. Give thanks. Look at the bright side. I'm going to take a quick break, and then I will be back with Ray Kelly. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. Now that I've had a quickie station break, I am now right back with Ray Kelly, who was New York City's A number one, longtime great, tough, best, smartest police commissioner we ever had. He began in 1963, and he is the longest serving commissioner in the history of the New York City police. The history of New York is great police commissioners. In 1895, before becoming president, Theodore Roosevelt was our police commissioner. Listen, Ray, can you tell us what you would do if you were police commissioner now? Uh, well, Cindy, thank you for, for having me. Obviously, uh, the world has changed uh, since I was a police commissioner, but I wrote an uh, article on Thursday in the Post, and I mentioned three tactics that I think could make a difference. Are they panaceas? No. Are they going to turn New York upside down and make it the safest big city in America again? No, they're not. But I think these three things can be uh, significant 
and make New York uh, much safer than it is now. And this is what I, I said. I said that I would restore the plainclothes anti-crime unit to patrol. Now, each precinct had them. They are the precinct commander's most effective tool in fighting street crime. Now, what Mayor Adams has done is put a, a, a sort of a semblance of this in place, but they're wearing a modified uniform. And I think the the benefit of the anti-crime officers is that uh, you wouldn't see them in a crowd. They can blend. They can do surveillance. They can do long-term uh, observations if, if needed. Now, this function has been in the NYPD for five decades, yet the last administration, for unknown reasons, eliminated them. But what, wait, 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 wait. What are the unknown reasons? Before you go further, I, what what are the unknown they're reasons? They're unknown. They're yeah, unknown but you know, you know everything. This was, this was in the aftermath of George Floyd. Uh, oh, so okay. I think they, they were very leery about having another uh, encounter or controversial encounter with the police officers. So they eliminated it. But, uh, you know, that is long past now. We have to, in my judgment, get them back uh, back on the street. Now, the other issue I, I mentioned was the stop, question, and frisk. It is a perfectly legal, perfectly legitimate function for police officers to, uh, to carry out. It's a, supported by a Supreme Court case, Terry versus Ohio. Yeah. It is codified. It is written in the criminal procedure law of New York State. Now, these, this practice has not totally been eliminated, but it's made very difficult and very, very ponderous uh, for police officers to implement. And that's because the use of it is being discouraged. Now, there are only about 1,000 a month now, but it, it, that's way short of what you would think police officers should be doing. Because when they see or when they have reasonable suspicion to think that a crime is about to take place, it is taking place, or has taken place, they can stop an individual in the street. They can ask some questions. That person does not have to respond. But they can pat down this person for their own protection. This is not a search. This is a, a, a pat down and strictly for uh, the officer's well-being. Uh, at one time, we had almost 600,000 under the Bloomberg administration. People thought that was an outrageous number. The fact of the matter is it amounted to uh, less than one stop a week for patrol officer and less than one pat down uh, every week for a uh, – every two weeks, I should say, for a, for a patrol officer. This is a tool that should be in every police officer's toolbox. You see something suspicious, we want them to, to intervene, to, to ask questions at least. And apparently that's, that's been reduced significantly. And the, the third thing that other people are certainly talking about, but that is to intensify subway patrol. We had concerns about the trans, transit system in the 90s. Now, this was before it was merged, the police, transit police officers merged in with the NYPD. And I think it was about 1995, uh, Mayor Giuliani did that. But we have to increase the presence of police officers, make sure they're visible in the system because people are afraid 
to go into the subway system these days. But Ray, but Ray, but Ray, but Ray, it's a diminished police department as it is. How are you going to get more police to come into the department when they don't want to do the job anymore? Oh, well, that's another question. uh, You're talking about uh, recruitment, and I think there are very uh, severe recruitment challenges. Uh, People don't want to become police officers anymore. Uh, It's very difficult to recruit. The department wanted to put in a class of 1,000 recruits not too long ago. They could only hire 600, so they were 400 short. But what I'm talking about now is to redeploy existing officers yeah. Use overtime. They, the city is awash in money now. You know, we had COVID money. Washington has shoved uh, $15 billion onto, uh, onto New York City. So it's not a question of money. It's a question of deployment. And unless the subway comes back, uh, we're not going to recover from the pandemic. We have to populate midtown Manhattan. We've got to get people back into those restaurants, people uh, obviously, back in offices, we know the world has changed. Some people are going to be working from home, uh, and some are going to be coming in the offices. But we want to uh, make certain that those people who do come in feel as safe as they possibly can. And right now, that's not the case. What is a way? Yes. I know about the police, but what is a way for a shopkeeper to protect his, hers own shop? People are breaking in and taking things everywhere. We're scared to go into a store. A friend of mine was walking on the street. She was being followed. She ducked into a store, and the guy behind her said, we'll catch you the next time. How do you protect storekeepers? Well, it's it's difficult these days, no question about it. Robberies and uh, grand larcenies and grand larceny autos uh, up about 50% in this city. And that that is true in the Upper East Side neighborhoods and in Midtown, where the tourists come. So there's no easy answer to that. I think you have to be vigilant. You have to watch yourself at all times. You have to go where there are other people, as far as store owners are concerned. More and more, you see them with um, you know buzzers, buzzing people in. You see little queues waiting in front of yeah, in front of yeah, stores, yeah. so they're letting people um, come in. You know, again, there's no no easy answer. It's tough, tough doing business right now in New York City. And I know because they're telling me, I know the level of anxiety that uh, exists out there. And really, it, the police department is, uh, you know, is in a difficult time. Yes, they have uh, some real recruiting uh, issues, and I'm concerned that they may lower the standards. Lower it? How can you lower it from what it is now? Well, you can do certain things. But, uh, you know, I'm just concerned that that may, may happen just to, to fill a number. And I think that would, that would also be a, a big mistake. So is, it's, it's a difficult time. And I, I wish I had a lot of the easy answers, but uh, we don't have them. But listen, what about, would there not be such a thing as captains on each street like people who live in the district, can they not assign a captain to a street? People who live there, a, a resident, he he's in charge of his street. Are you talking about civilians? A civilian, yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we've had that in the past. 
we had the block watcher program. And we had people who registered with the police, and they were given a special telephone number. If they saw something going on, you know, they could immediately contact the police. We had that in the 80s and 90s. I think it had, uh, you know, a mixed effect, but it did have, it did bring people sort of on the team. You know, they they had the feeling that they were better protecting the neighborhood and that they had a uh, a good relationship with the, the police, and that might be something that should be. Reinstitute. Listen, I know it's difficult. We all know it's difficult, but we cannot continue like this. And if we don't have a Ray Kelly, I don't know. Whoever is supposed to be the police commissioner right now is in hiding. So we haven't seen her. Nobody talks to her. She doesn't make any speeches because this idiot mayor that we have now wants all the time in front of a camera. So there has to be somebody smart enough to come up with some ideas. That's all I can say. I just don't understand. I just don't understand what is going to happen to my city. Well, it's in the mayor's hand. Uh, you're right. We don't see the police commissioner. The mayor obviously looks like he wants to be the police commissioner. And if you're looking for someone to come in from the outside, it's going to be someone who's appointed by the mayor. So, you know, we put the power in his hand. and. Uh, so far, uh, we see crime at uh, you know it, significant. Uh, we see it being significant above what it was the last two years. Don't forget, in 2020, with the death of George Floyd, uh, shootings in New York City went up 100 percent. In 2021, they went up 70 percent above that. Now they're down somewhat this year, but as I said before, the the robberies, the, the assault, the uh, purse snatches, the chain snatches, they've all gone up roughly yeah, 50%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's a big concern. And it is in the, you know, the, the neighborhoods where you traditionally didn't see that, that kind of crime. Well, would anybody here in this industry, this, this imbecile that we have in the mayor, would anybody ask for your opinion? Certainly, you know, you had a calm city. Has anybody reached out to you for your opinion? No, no. But, uh, I mean, that's the way administrations are. You know, they they never want to do what the, the last administration did. Uh, they want to solve all the problems on their own. It's, and that's just not this administration. It's many administrations. Okay. So, uh, and I think this is <laughs> the way it's going to be for a while, unfortunately. Okay, I, I, I read your article in the New York Post. It was wonderful. It was exactly to the point. I am so grateful that you came on the air. We love you, Ray Kelly. We'd like to have you back, honey. Oh, uh, thank you, Cindy. You're terrific. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on, Ray. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Today, I am into the crime wave in New York City and what's going on not only in New York City, but the rest of this country. So I'm going to talk with Bernard Carrick. He's an Army vet. He worked with the Navy SEALs. He was New York City Police Commissioner with Mayor Ray Rudy Giuliani at the time of 9-11. He knows what to do. He did it. Can you tell me what we should be doing now, Bernie? 
Yeah, hi, Cindy. I, I think what has to be done, I think there's a couple of things that the mayor, uh, the mayor should be doing or should have done already. Um, but at this point, um, you know, it's something he has to step on and step on quick. He's got to get to the governor. He has to get the governor to repeal the bail reform laws that were enacted by Mario, uh, Andrew Cuomo. You know, the bail reform programs that they put in place uh, created havoc within the system. Eighty-three percent of the people that's locked up on gun charges in uh, in New York City are immediately released um, back into the community because of bail reform. That's that's horrible for the citizens of New York. He's also got to get the governor to go after the prosecutors in New York City that's not prosecuting crime. Guys like Alvin Bragg. Alvin Bragg should not be a prosecutor. Bag Alvin the Bragg. Bragg. Bag Bragg, I say. Bag Bragg. Yeah, go ahead. Go, 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 yeah, go. He should, he should not be in office. That guy should not be a district attorney. He's the worst district attorney New York City's ever had. He's not prosecuting the bad guys the way he should. And he's creating, he's emboldening the bad guys to do things that they're doing, endangering not only not only the citizens of New York, but the men and women in law enforcement that are out there doing the job that has to be done. Um, the other thing the mayor has to do is he's got to hire more cops. You know, I had 55,000 people under my command in the NYPD. I left 21 years ago. 21 years ago, the population has gone up. Crime is up in New York City, and yet they have six or 7,000 less people than I had. That's got to stop. You know, this whole defunding issue of police, not only uh, in New York City, but around the country, it's got to change. Because if it doesn't change, crime is continue. Crime will continue to rise. And that's what we're seeing. The mayor has the ability, has the authority to do everything I'm saying. All he has to do is do it. Pull the trigger and do it. What he doesn't have is the male parts to do this. That's what he doesn't have. He wants to be president. He doesn't know how to be mayor. He just likes to be on television and go to late night bars. Don't tell me you think he's a good mayor. He's not. Well, I'm not saying he's a good mayor. Listen, uh, you know, I've known Eric Adams for, I don't know, 25, 30 years. Eric Adams was a lieutenant under me when I was police commissioner. Here's the problem he has. He knows he 100 percent knows how to reduce crime in New York City because he was a part of the Giuliani Renaissance that changed the dynamic of crime in New York. He was a part of that. He lived through it. He had to do it. He knows how to do it, whether he has the courage or not to face up to the left, whether he has the courage to put put the politics aside and do what has to be done. That's another thing. But he knows what has to be done. He knows he should reinstitute, stop, question, and frisk. He knows he should add the cops. He knows he shouldn't defund. He knows he's got to get rid of Bragg. He knows the bail reform laws and programs have to go. He knows everything I'm saying. The problem is he's not doing it. And until he does, New York City is will continue to implode. Can you tell me if he was a lieutenant under you when you were police commissioner? Can you tell me 
anything he did that was tremendous that we should all be able to report about? What, what did he do that was heroic? Honestly, Sin, uh, I, yeah. I can't say. Really? Can't. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah, he, um, <laughs> you know, he was a lieutenant. He was, uh, you know, yeah. he was a desk officer. Uh, he didn't become I, captain, you know. honey. Well, he became captain later, but before he retired. But, you know, to become a captain, you take a test. Um, I know plenty of test takers in the NYPD that were complete zeros. Um, bottom line is, you know, he never did anything to really stand out. Yeah, that's what I mean. He was the president of an organization called 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement. Um, and that's that's pretty much it. But, um, you know, look, at the end of the day, today's the mayor. Today he has the ability to make a real change in New York City. All he has to do is do it. All he has to do is do it. He ain't going to do nothing. He's been there seven months, and all he does is go to bars and go on television. Now, let me ask you, I, what, ab what about the stop and frisk? That worked. Shouldn't that be brought back again? Yeah, a thousand percent. A thousand percent. You know, everybody, everybody said basically, you know, everybody's complaining about stop and frisk. You know, in the in the bloom during the Bloomberg era, you know, the stop and frisk numbers went sky high. You know, six hundred thousand stops a year, or whatever the case may be. Um, it was too much. It was ruled unconstitutional. But you know what? This is something that people should keep in mind. When Giuliani and I were there before I left office, we had a continual dialogue with the Department of Justice, who basically admitted that the stop-and-frisk program that we were running was constitutional, fair, and worked. And you know who was overseeing that for the Department of Justice? Eric Holder. Eric Holder was the deputy attorney general under under um, Janet Reno at the time, and it worked. It worked. They allowed us to do what we were doing. So don't tell me it doesn't work. Don't tell me it's unconstitutional. It has to be monitored. It can't be abused. But at the end of the day, stop, question, and frisk is a phenomenal tool to take guns off the streets. And the, and the mayor, Eric Adams, should bring it back, period. Okay. If everybody is catering to the left and everybody is saying we don't like the police, how do you handle that if you're in office and we have nice people like all of us living here suffering? How do you do that? How do you handle it? You know what, Cindy? Uh, no, nobody's better to address this than you are. You know why? You lived, you've been in New York City for 50 years, right? You lived through the Giuliani administration. Nobody liked when Giuliani came into office in 1994 and said, you know, nobody wants to live here. Nobody wants to work, visit, go to school here because this place is like a war zone. And until we reduce crime, it's never going to change. You can't have, you know, thri a thriving economy. You can't have a real estate values increase. You can't have the highest tourism if people are afraid to be here. So we have to address the crime issue. 
when everybody said it couldn't be done, it wouldn't be done, it was too big, too corrupt, too dirty, Giuliani said, forget all of you. I'm doing it. And he ordered it to be done. That's what has to happen. That's what has to happen. Ignore the critics. Ignore all the blowhards that get out there and talk all this garbage. Just ignore them and do your job. Eric Adams knows exactly what has to be done. Just go do it. Do it. Pull the trigger and do it. It'll get done. The NYPD knows how to reduce crime. All they have to be all all that has to be done, they gotta be given the manpower, the resources, the training to do it. Let the commissioner go do the job. How do you get more cops when they don't want to enter the NYPD? They're scared. They're nervous. They're getting killed. They're getting shot. How do you get more police on the force when they don't want to come on the force? Well, that's, you know what, that's going to be a problem with this administration if this administration doesn't change. You know how you get more cops? You have to have inspirational leadership. You have to have motivational leadership. You have to have people sitting in office that the cops respect, admire, and will follow. I can tell you, and I'm, I'm not... I'm not saying this, you know, because it's me, my cops, my men and women that work for me. If I said charge, they'd follow me anywhere I went because they knew I would support them. I would back them. I would fight with them. The bottom line is you that's what you need. And until you have that, you know, you're going to have a problem recruiting. You're going to have a a problem keeping cops on the job. Uh, But at the end of the day, you know, that's what has to happen. And until Eric Adams does that, he's going to continue to have problems with cops leaving. I heard him say the other day, he, he doesn't he doesn't think it's a concern. I got news for you. He may not think it's a concern. The citizens of New York City, they think it's a concern. They want more cops. They want safety and security. They want better real estate values. They want better economic development. They want more tourism. They want money to come into the city. They want it. That's what he should be concerned with. The problem with you is you're too boring. I hate to talk to you. You never have anything to say. So thank you for coming on. I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you, babe. Thank Thank you, Cindy. Thanks, honey. Bye-bye. Bye. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I wish to babble right now some assorted thoughts for my remaining time. First, a comment from comedian Wanda Sykes, who just said, quote, There is so much craziness going on now that a pandemic which shut us down is not the biggest story happening in this country. People want to laugh. They need to laugh. And if we don't start laughing and having enjoyment, we are about to lose our democracy. Okay, I agree with her. I also want to forge onward. Now, graffiti, carvings, street language, scratched on subways, is as old as the BMT. But we're New York. We're tops in everything first in whatever. Who cares what it is? We're the first. Number one in who even knows what we're first. But now, are you ready? And I hope nobody cuts me off for this. But our east side, west side, all around the town also boasts, ready? Penis art. 
it is now in our subways. So I have a story. So pay attention. A, a name called Vindolanda is a Roman fort in northern England. If you look it up, you will learn it dates way back before even my birthday, back to Emperor Hadrian in the second century. And if I'm off maybe a weekend, so what? Excavating this site recently, retired South Wales biochemist Dylan Herbert unearthed a stone carved with a good part of a good gent's good parts. The inscription read, Secondinus Cacor, coolhunting.com. Roman epigraphists translated that to bathroom user. And why memorialize a guy who's using the can? This I don't know. But I have learned, and I'm sharing it with you, it's the 14th phallic carving unearthed at this ancient loo. Plus, ready for this factlet you won't get anywhere else, it's the highest number of early penis graffiti found everywhere, anywhere, except now we're getting it in the subways. Now, I don't know who might be out there looking for it, but this is what I know for a fact. What this art taught us, who knows? But may we all rejoice in knowing this particular guy we are talking about. We can all be sure after he did whatever it was he was doing, he felt better. <laughs> and the gentleman who sent me this, I thank him. And may he continue to have a stiff upper lip for his report. Okay, now, civilization is looking into Hillary Clinton's alleged Russiagate. First, may our brains wobble back to the 1970s. Watergate. The then-sitting president, Richard Nixon's administration, and their break-in cleanup, cover-up, of the Democratic National Committee headquarters. That was Watergate's bust-in, then cover-up, then mop-up. That was an extreme, illegal example of politics run amok. Now pay attention. That they gathered... It was information they gathered. They didn't make it up. It was gathered illegally. Truthful info to use against the Democrats. It's like the suppression of a real gun seized illegally by the police and then tried to trigger illegally and obtained information to muddy the election, fade in, fade out, comes now modern times. Hillary and company supposedly, allegedly, who knows, try to manufacture untrue dirt to sway the 2016 voters. Russiagate was Clinton and company being accused of trying to use manufactured and untrue dirt to sway 
the 2016 election and American voters. That is insidious. That debunked, unreal dossier sought to use fabricated information against a presidential candidate. That is like police planting a gun on you and then prosecuting you for arms possession. E pluribus unum, all to screw one and one to screw all. Okay, now I would like to do a little thing about City Hall's party-going, celebrity-crazed, Halloween-like, suit-wearing, microphone-eating, Eric, you should excuse the expression, mayor, whose unaccomplished gizzard is stuck on going to the White House. He is considered a joke, spelled J-E-R-K, but saying that would be rude, so I won't. But somebody in the late-night bars he frequents should tell him that there is in his city crime, traffic, garbage, homelessness, taxes, unemployment, break-ins, empty stores, living standards, poverty, deprivation, child care, mental illness issues, high rents, health concerns, rats, roaches, school disarray, anger, subways, congestion, construction. That is what's mainly in New York, kids, mainly in New York, not in Hollywood where he goes to meet Paris Hilton, who is not exactly the Statue of Liberty. Eric the Dread, despite what saloons tell him, the pros who he drinks with. They tell him to use the word swagger associated with him. That is a classy word. He uses it to describe the juiced-up Halloween suits he wears while panting for a TV camera crew. That is phraseology for vulgar. That's what swagger means. Look it up in the dictionary. Bracelets, earrings, collar studs, clown outfits, good in the hood. The word is officially parsed as aggressive and arrogant. Notice his description doesn't ever, ever, ever come dressed with the descriptions able, accomplished, knowledgeable, excellent, efficient, or praiseworthy. The majority of the press has already peed on him. How is that for swagger? Now, a quote from Johnny Depp. His quote is, the number three has been very good to me. What that means, I don't know. He said this a while back. I read it. I don't understand the significance of it, but since he just won a multimillion-dollar lawsuit, I don't want to upset him. So that's his quoted quote, and what it means, I haven't the foggiest. 
But there is one thing I have heard and do understand and want to share with you, and that's today's medical doctors, and that is nobody makes house calls anymore except plumbers, TV repairmen, and burglars. So now we're having a holiday weekend, and I want you all to have a good Father's Day, Juneteenth, and we're coming now to July 4th, and thanks to our founding fathers, every child born in the USA today is endowed with life, liberty, and a share of the government debt. I love you all, and I'm going to see you again next Sunday at 1 o'clock. Bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.